tonight to Proverbs chapter 17. Proverbs chapter 17, and those of you that uh, are here on a regular basis know we've been going through the book of Proverbs, just taking it verse by verse. And uh, last week we just got down uh, through verse number 2, so we didn't make very much uh, progress in the chapter last week. And I can't tell you how far we'll go this week, but it it won't be very far. But we pick up the we pick up the story here in verse number three. The finding pot is for silver, and the furnace for gold. But the Lord trieth the hearts. You know, whether it's silver or gold, neither one comes to us in a in a pure form, you can't just go out and, uh, you know, pick up pure chunks of gold. It doesn't come that way. Uh, there are many impurities that have to be removed from the from the ore, and that requires a process, uh, an extreme heat. And this is what he's talking about here. The finding pots, he says, and the furnaces, these are things used to apply the heat to the ore that would take out the dross, the impurities. And and all of this is an illustration of how God works in our lives and um and, and, and what the heat does for the for the silver and the gold, afflictions do uh, for us, he mentions that over in the book of Malachi, chapter three. You don't need to turn there, but in chapter three and verse two and three, we see nearly identical words there in reference to Israel. Now, remember, Israel—they were God's chosen people; they were His special people, and uh, He had brought them out of the loins of Abraham and established them as a nation that they might be a witness unto him among all of the other nations of the earth. When they failed to comply to his demands, when they failed to fulfill his purpose, God turned the heat up. And God allowed them to be afflicted and uh, in order to purify them, in order to encourage them to turn back to him and and we come to the New Testament, and Peter speaks about the fact that we shouldn't be surprised by this. It's, we shouldn't think it would be a strange thing, you know, or something odd. And he's simply reminding us this is the manner in which God has always worked with his people. Now, when we think about it, it's, uh, you know, the first thought that comes to our mind is fear. It's a frightening thing to think about being subjected to afflictions because afflictions hurt. And, uh, and instead of us thinking about it as something that's a negative, we ought to think about it as a positive because it shows us that God is at work in our lives. The Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and he scourges every son that he receives. And then he said there in Hebrews, If we be without chastisement, he said, Then are you bastards, that is, you're illegitimate. You're not truly the children of God. You've probably heard people talk about, you know, us Baptists and say, you know, in our belief in eternal security, one uh, famous non-Baptist preacher on national TV called that a damnable heresy. Uh, well, a little bit later on, of course, he had to apologize for having committing adultery. But anyway, uh, he believed you could lose your salvation. 
gee, I'd think that if anything would do it, that'd do it, wouldn't it? Huh? I mean, using the services of prostitutes, and and I never did read of him getting born again, you know, after the fact. So, but anyway, that's what he said about it, and and people have said, you know, if I believe what you Baptists believe, I would sin all I want to. Well, my answer to that is, we do. We sin all we want to, and more than we want to. But where they go wrong is they think that because we have eternal security, that we can sin all we want to and go to heaven. We, in other words, we get out of it. We don't have to. We don't have to pay for it. And that that's where they're wrong. Because as a child of God, if I get out of the will of God, I don't lose my relationship, but my Heavenly Father is going to take me to the woodshed and work me over. He's not going to let me get by with it. God loves His people too much to allow them to sin successfully. And so, just thinking about the fact that we are being subjected to these trials and afflictions gives us somewhat assurance that we are indeed the children of God. And and by the way, and we all have impurities, don't we? Every single one of us, regardless of who you are or how long you've been saved, there are impurities in your life. If they're not there today, they'll be there tomorrow. You mark it down. There will be impurities that need to be removed. Sometimes we are aware of them, you know, and sometimes we're not. Remember the psalmist said something about cleanse me from my, from my secret sins or those sins, those faults uh, that, I, that I'm not even aware of. And, and a lot of times that's what happens in our life. But even if we're not aware of them, uh, God is. I love what old Dr. Bill Rice said many years ago, and he, he, he was preaching a sermon. It was entitled, let's see, Lick 'em, Love 'em, Learn 'em. That, I believe it was the title of it. It had to do with raising children. He said, I'll give you a rule on spanking your kids. He said, You can do it safely one time, at least one time a week, and if you don't know what it's for, they will. <laughs> And you know, that's, that's about right. You know, we might not be aware of what's going on in some areas of our life, but God always is. Uh, over in Psalms 119, and these are a couple of verses that probably, if you're not familiar with, you ought to mark them down and go back and think about them, and especially, especially whenever you're going through some difficulty that you don't understand. And he says in verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, notice, now, now that I've been afflicted, he says, But now have I kept thy word. And then in verse 71, he said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. It's good for me. Wait a minute. You know, we think, we always think of it as being something bad. You know, we don't want to go through that. But yet the psalmist said, it is good for me. You know, knowing that we are God's children and knowing that God loves us, knowing that God is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness, more concerned about our character than He is about our comfort, and that He's going to do the right thing, whether we understand it or not, just knowing that, that an all-wise, ever-loving God is behind all of this 
enables us to accept it. You, you think about the Apostle Paul. I can't think of anyone other than the Lord that I, you know, that I thought was a greater person than Paul. And, and yet Paul went through all kinds of difficulties in his life. And yet he could say that he took pleasure in his infirmities, that he rejoiced in all of his afflictions. Well, I mean, how can you do that? You don't hear many people going around saying, well, glory to God, I woke up with a migraine. I mean, you know, we generally don't look at it that way. We get all down in the mouth and our lower lip dragging the ground and something happened that we don't understand. Something happens that's painful and we, you know, we don't like it. We would have never chosen it for ourselves. But listen, just knowing knowing that this great God of ours is our Heavenly Father and that, that He either causes it or He allows it to come into our life. And it's not an accident, it's an appointment. He does it for a good reason. And the wonderful thing about it is, you know, we think about Him not putting more on us than what we're able to bear. And, and that's true if we trust Him. If we don't trust Him, there'll be plenty that we can't bear. But if we trust Him, He'll never put more on us than what we're able to bear. And we can know that the very one that is subjecting us to the heat of afflictions is controlling the temperature. I mean, it'll never, it'll never get so hot that it'll destroy you. That, that's not the idea behind it. You, sometimes we think about chastisement as a punishment. No, we don't have to worry about the punishment. Jesus, when He shed His blood for us and we put our faith in Him, our punishment for sin is a thing of the past. Chastisement has to do with correction. God corrects us. And, and so He has His hand on the temperature control, so to speak, and it's kind of like somebody is described from their own experience being over in the Holy Land. They say, you know, whenever the refiner, as he's removing the dross, and it's when he can see the reflection there in, in, in the fining pot, when he sees his reflection, he, he knows it's just right. The impurities have been removed. Well, you know, I th- that, listen, that's what God is after in our life, that we'll be conformed to the image of Christ. That's God's purpose for us, Romans eight twenty nine, that we be conformed to His image. Now, regardless of how difficult it is, we have the assurance of God's Word that He's going to use it for a good reason, and He's going to help us to get through it. It's not going to be something designed to destroy us, And what we need to remember is, regardless of how difficult it is, we are never excused from duty or relieved of responsibility just because it's difficult. Because of that, we never have an excuse for failing. Boy, we become experts at that, don't we? Because, you know, we'll drop the ball at half court somewhere or miss a slam dunk, something that we should have succeeded at and and, uh, and the first thing we do is, well, we've got to justify our actions. Well, I wouldn't have punched the guy in the nose if he'd have shut up in the first place like I told him, you know, or, you know, he, he, he cut me off. It, it, it's always shifting the blame. And whenever we're going through hardships, there's so many times I've heard people say, you know, all of a sudden they would drop out of church. And you go talk to them, you know, and try to encourage them to get back in church and, well, 
preacher, we've been going through some really difficult times. Well, you know, if you knew what we were going through, preacher, you'd understand. No, I don't understand. I don't know what you're going through, but I know there's nothing that justifies us disobeying God. And I realize that any of us can get knocked off of our spiritual equilibrium, equilibrium, you know, momentarily. Things can happen that will cause you, even as a child of God, to act out of character momentarily. But there's no excuse for us not recovering our spiritual balance and getting back in the game and doing the will of God. So, remember, all of this, all of this difficulty that you face is all for a good reason, not meant to destroy you. Verse number four. A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips, and a liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue. Remember, he just got through speaking about the heart, right? He's talking about purifying the heart. And that regulates the life because everything proceeds out of the heart. And boy, whenever you think about the attitude of the heart, and you look in the Bible and see how much the Bible says about the tongue. And remember what Jesus said, it's out of the heart that the tongue speaks. So whatever, you know, we say is a result of what we're thinking in our heart. And notice here, he's talking about the the, the matter of the misuse of the tongue here. And, and he's simply telling us that we need to be concerned about what and who we listen to. A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips. And that is, you know, somebody that's, you know, they're planning on doing something that they know is wrong. It's wicked. It's maybe an abomination in the sight of God. They give heed to false lips. They listen to the lies of other people. When you sit and you listen uh, to, to other people, and especially when you know that it's a lie. And most of the time, let's face it, we don't even do any investigation. We just hear somebody say, well, did you hear? Or maybe maybe they're super spiritual and they put it in the form of a prayer request. Well, I'll tell you, you really need to pray for old so-and-so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw him down at the bar the other night. Or I heard, I heard I heard he was down at the bar the other night, or, or somebody said they saw him, you know, in a restaurant with another woman. You know, they're, I bet the marriage probably not going to last much longer. You know, they don't wait to see if it's his sister or something like that. I mean, you you don't know. But the whole thing is, too many times we listen to the lies of other people when we don't have all of the facts. And, and listen, there's absolutely no way of telling how much harm is done by way of gossip. I've often said, you know, sometimes we think about a person in the church that commits some sin and, uh, and people begin to talk about it. They know about it. And uh, naturally, the desire of our heart should be that that person would recover from their sin. In fact, that's what church discipline is all about. But we don't hear much about that anymore, do you? Go down to Lakewood and see if you ever hear about church discipline. <laughs> well, I probably... Um, anyway, <laughs> you can just do anything you want in most places. They don't care. But that's the purpose behind it. Somebody said, well, I don't think it's right. You just kick people out of the church. 
you think it's right that you ought to, you ought to correct your children? The Bible says it is. Now, if, if, that's, if that's right in regards to your children, it's certainly right in regards to our responsibility to discipline those that are members of the church. But here's the problem. In our effort trying to correct them, to bring them to the place that they confess their sin and get back in fellowship with God and do what they ought to do, meanwhile, meanwhile all of the talk's going on, People see somebody down at Walmart and, did you hear about so-and-so? No, I hadn't heard about it. Well, let me tell you. And here we go. Somebody with garbage can ears, you know, they really tune into that and they just pick all of that up. And here's what happens. After a while... After a while, all of the gossip about the person's sin does more harm and damage than the person's sin itself. And so here you've got a bunch of people criticizing somebody because they did wrong, and what they're doing is more devastating to the testimony of the church than what that person did. Not only is it more harmful to the church, but it makes it much, much more difficult to ever reach that person and draw them back into fellowship with the Lord. So God help us to not listen to, to the lies and, uh, and, uh, it's like somebody said, you know, whenever we sow a seed of doubt, we uh, reap a crop of suspicion. We sow a seed of doubt. We, we, we say something that just implants doubt in somebody's mind about someone else, and so now they've got a crop of suspicion. They, you, you know, you can ruin somebody's reputation and ruin their life by just insinuating, well, you know, I don't know whether they did it or not, but, boy, it makes you wonder. You know, you've got to think about that. Maybe they did. Well, I mean, you, you, you've already sowed the seeds of doubt, and now there's going to be that crop of suspicion. Every time you see that person, you're going to wonder, I wonder if they really did that. Then you're going to see them up in the choir and think, well, what are they doing up there? What I heard might have been true. If it's true, you know, they don't have any business up there. And so here we go. Well, verse number 5, we're going to have to wrap this up and... uh, in, in fact, let me let me say this: those we're going through one more verse, and uh, and uh, those awaiting baptism and helping with baptism, if you'll go ahead and be going to the dressing room, yeah, you're going to miss this one verse. But uh, the rest of us going to finish verse five: Whoso mocketh the poor, reproacheth his maker, and he that is glad at calamities shall not be unpunished. You know, back in chapter 4, verse 31, there was a warning there about oppressing the poor. But here is a warning about mocking the poor. And it's necessary because some people who do not have the power to oppress the poor, that is to put them in subjection, you know, under your heel as it were. You, you can't rob them of their goods. You can't take away they, what they've got. You can't inflict hardship upon their life in, in those ways. You can't oppress them. But nevertheless, the people that can't oppress them can mock them. You know, we'd like to think that this doesn't go on. 
but it does. I mean, and it's it's so amazing. And by the way, we talk about all this bullying in school, and and this is usually where it starts. And this isn't anything new, folks. I mean, it's been that way ever since we've been sending kids off to public schools. Makes you think about that, doesn't it? We send them off to the public schools, and, well, you know what happens, right? Well, number one, all of the boys, just like when I was growing up, you know, they're going to establish a pecking order, and so you're going to have one fight after another. You know, that they, they had, had a deal on the news here today, and the pictures of them fighting out there. And my first thought was, well, good night. We had those every every day. At some time during the day, there was going to be a fight somewhere, and the teacher broke it up, and everything worked out, and sometimes that kid you was fighting become your best friend later on. But, uh, but, but anyway, the point is, then it gets, it gets to, you know, you've got, uh, well, in our day, you had the jocks and the greasers, you know, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, so you're divided up, and you don't have strict gangs like that. That was out in L.A. and all of that stuff, you know. But, but you've got these different groups and the subgroups. And so after a while, your kid goes to school, and uh, you, you know, you're kind of short on money, and so you, you have a lot of money, so you get them a pair of Spalding tennis shoes to wear for gym. You know what's going to happen, right? I mean, the kids are going to give them down the road because you don't have any Air Jordan. I mean, come on, boy, who who are you? You your mother shops at Walmart, you know. And so, listen, this is where this starts, but it doesn't end there. It's through all of the fabric of society. And we talked just the other day. In fact, we had a missionary. For those that you don't know, they've had a missionary with Larry Jones here who just started a ministry called Baptist Charities, and it has to do with assisting the poor in all parts of the world, by the way. And we're, 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 we're glad that we can jump on board and that we're ha- having a part in that. You know, it's real easy for us to look down our nose at the plight of those that are living in poverty and yet never raise a finger to do anything to help them. And, and beware, notice, beware of mocking those that have less than you do. Because notice he said, whoso mocketh the poor, number one, you reproach his maker. That's a reflection on your attitude toward God. And he that is glad at calamities, good night. Who would do that? Oh, a lot of people. A lot of people. <laughs> Boy, he finally got what he deserved, didn't he? You know, calamity comes into somebody's life, and boy, we're glad about it. Notice, he says, he shall not be unpunished. Make no mistake about it. God is watching how we relate to one another. And you cannot mistreat other people without God, without God in some way inflicting pain on you. Well, I hope tonight that something that's maybe been said that will be helpful in your Christian walk. And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, please come and see me or Brother Kenneth right back here or other pastor uh, or Brother John there. or Come and see one of us. We'd be glad to help you.
And uh, we don't want you to leave here not knowing the Lord is your personal Savior. So, Brother Nolan, how about you lead us maybe?